If you've been looking for a comprehensive Bible school curriculum that explores redemptive realities in Jesus Christ grounded in the Word of God, look no further. The goal of this podcast is to spread the life-transforming Word of God throughout the world for the equipping of the saints to do the work of the ministry and to build up the body of Christ in what Jesus has accomplished for us through His death, burial, resurrection, and seating at the right hand of God the Father. There's such an untapped potential for Christians to enter into their glorious inheritance in Jesus Christ. Together we will discover what Jesus has done for us by providing such a great salvation and how to appropriate the promises of God in our lives. Jesus said in John chapter 8 verse 31, If you hold to my teaching, you are really my disciples, and then you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. Each podcast season will cover one of the books that I have compiled over the years. You can find a complete listing of my Christian education material on my website at www.wordinspire.com. You're welcome to download these ebooks for free in PDF format for your own personal or ministry use. So let's explore these biblical truths and principles together that will absolutely transform our lives. God bless. Welcome to the Word of Life study series, Foundations for Christian Living. The subject of prayer is so vital to the disciple of Jesus Christ that we have dedicated an entire episode to this area. Even though it's such a comprehensive subject, we'll be able to cover the main points. I would venture to say that for most people, the concept of prayer will be different than the material presented in this episode. With that being said, I would encourage the listeners to have an open mind and pay close attention to the scriptures that will be covered. The purpose here is to broaden our scope concerning the toolbox of prayer. We have the rest of our lives to further discover the wonderful world of prayer. What is prayer? Fundamentally, it's communication with God. Through Jesus Christ, we can have fellowship, talk with, and commune with our God. In the very beginning, when man was created, God would come and have fellowship with Adam and Eve. All relationships have a foundation in communication. When we get together with those we love, there is often dialogue, isn't there? The God of the universe has honored us with the privilege to have precious conversation and communion with Him. From what we see in the scriptures, God enjoys spending time with His creation. He really enjoys engaging in dialogue with us. Isaiah 1.18 Come now. Let us reason together, says the Lord. Though your sins are like scarlet, they'll be as white as snow. Though they are red as crimson, they shall be like wool. Sin caused our wonderful communication line with our Creator to be cut off. Unfortunately, it was man's sin that destroyed our relationship and ability to talk with God. So the solution to restoring our ability to commune with God is to take care of the sin problem. That is exactly what God did. Through Jesus Christ, our sins have been wiped out by His blood and we've been adopted back into God's family as children of God, according to Galatians 3.26, Romans 8.14, 
1 John 3, 1, among many other scriptures. Romans 5.11 Not only is this so, but we also rejoice in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have now received reconciliation. Ephesians 2.13 But now in Christ Jesus, you who once were far away have been brought near through the blood of Christ. When children come home from school, most parents ask them how their day went. If not so well, the natural thing to do is to place a comforting arm around them and love on them. How much more our Heavenly Father wants to love on you and me when we deal with struggles in this life. That is what Jesus said in Matthew eleven twenty eight: Come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. When we have issues that concern us, then it concerns Him. Tell Him all about it. When we talk to people about our problems, we may feel a little better, but God has the power to do something about them. God always has time for us. According to the Bible, we are not a bother. 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 7 in the Amplified. Casting the whole of your care, all your anxieties, all your worries, all your concerns, once and for all, on Him, for He cares for you affectionately and cares about you watchfully. 2 Corinthians 1, 3. Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of compassion and the God of all comfort, who comforts us in our troubles, so that we can comfort those in any trouble with the comfort we ourselves have received from God. It is so sad that many Christians resort to prayer as their last hope. Oh, has it really come to that? We should pray about this. Prayer should be our first thing that we do instinctively in all matters, good, bad, and the ugly. 1 Thessalonians 5.16 Be joyful always, pray continually, give thanks in all circumstances, for this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. Prayer should not be just confined to thanking God for our food or a 10-second prayer before we go to bed. That would be a start if we are babes in Christ. But God wants us to become highly developed in the art of prayer. James 5.13 Is anyone of you in trouble? You should pray. Is anyone happy? Let him sing songs of praise. Is any one of you sick? He should call the elders of the church to pray over him and anoint him with oil in the name of the Lord. And the prayer offered in faith will make the sick person well. The Lord will raise him up. If he has sinned, he will be forgiven. Therefore, confess your sins to each other and pray for each other so you may be healed. The prayer of a righteous person is powerful and effective. Prayer is our lifeline to the throne of God. We should be in contact with our God throughout the day. It does not have to be long prayers. Just stay in continual communion with Him. For instance, I'll be at my desk at work, and I'll just take a couple of minutes thanking Him for the day. Or I'll be on the road heading home, and I'll pray in tongues and worship God with a song. If I see an ambulance with its lights on, I lift the person up in prayer for God's healing and preservation. Do you see what I mean? It's meant to be a lifestyle that we do all the time. It becomes as automatic as breathing. Hebrews 4.16 Let us then approach the throne of grace with confidence, so we may receive mercy and find grace to help us in our time of need. When we pray, just talk normal. God is not impressed when we try to act religious or speak in Old English. God wants us to keep it real. He wants us to be honest and upfront with Him. He knows what we are going through. Also remember that faith pleases God according to Hebrews 11.6. Therefore, when we cast our cares upon Him, remind Him of what His Word says. Boast about our God. There is no God as big as ours. He loves that, according to 1 Corinthians one thirty one. Therefore, as it is written, let him who boasts, boast in the Lord. 
It's not that God needs his ego boosted. It's for our benefit. The bigger we make God in our situation, the smaller the problem becomes. The more we emphasize the problem, the bigger it gets, and the smaller God becomes as our deliverer. Isaiah 43.25 I, even I, am he who blots out your transgressions for my own sake, and I will not remember your sins. Put me in remembrance. Let us contend together. State your case, that you may be acquitted. You may be wondering, so what do I pray about? Well, everything. God wants to hear it all. Your thanksgiving, praise, request, chit-chat, cares, dreams, etc. God loves you. As his child, he loves to spend time with you. So please don't deny him that quality time that he deserves. Isaiah 62, 5. As a bridegroom rejoices over his bride, so will your God rejoice over you. So when we look at prayer as communication, we understand that concept. We also understand that for any relationship to remain fresh and healthy, there needs to be continual communication. So it is with God. Philippians 4.6 Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your request to God, and the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Did you know that God is continually talking to us? But are we listening? Communication is not a one-way street. More important to talking, there's listening. Psalms 46.10 Be still and know that I am God. God speaks to us primarily through His Word, the Bible. The Bible is God speaking to us. He speaks through a still small voice in our spirit that enlightens our mind with impressions of love and peace and grace. 1 Kings 19.12 He also speaks to us through other believers, which is another reason why going to church is so important. There are numerous ways that He speaks to us, but always use God's Word to confirm and ensure that it is God speaking and not the enemy. Why would God have so much interest in you and me? It's humbling, isn't it? Remember, it was God's idea from the beginning. The world might not think we are worth much, but the God of the universe died a horrible death on the cross for us. That is where our eternal priceless value comes from. So it's kind of a no-brainer that he wants to talk with us. We are always on his mind. Psalms 139.17 How precious to me are your thoughts, O God! How vast is the sum of them! Were I to count them, they would outnumber the grains of sand. Remember when we talked about sin, how it cuts the communication line with God? For the Christian, we are in a continual process of development. In this life, we are always under construction. So when we sin, our fellowship with God is cut, not our relationship. We are still children of God. However, we need to restore our fellowship with God by being quick to forgive, quick to repent, and quick to obey His word. We have a promise in 1 John 1.9, where the blood of Jesus is applied to provide forgiveness for those sins we confess to God and restore our communication line with Him. Claiming the Precious Promises The Bible teaches that all the promises of God are yes and amen in Christ Jesus. Many of God's promises are conditional in that we have to believe God and act in faith. Take the area of finances, for example. We need to first give money into his kingdom, and then God will multiply it. Learning to receive from God is not rocket science, but it does take time to learn how the principles work. Oftentimes, the only limitation is our faith. Mark 9.23 Jesus said, Everything is possible for him who believes. In 2 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 18 But as surely as God is faithful, 
Our message to you is not yes and no, for the Son of God, Jesus Christ, who is preached among you by me and Silas and Timothy, was not yes and no, but in him it has always been yes. For no matter how many promises God has made, they are yes in Christ. 2 Peter 1-2 Grace and peace be yours in abundance through the knowledge of God and of Jesus Christ our Lord. His divine power has given us everything we need for life and godliness through our knowledge of Him, who has called us by His own glory and goodness. Through these, He has given us His very great and precious promises, so that through them you may participate in the divine nature and escape the corruption in the world caused by evil desires. A simple theology that often gets complicated by well-meaning folks is John chapter 10 verse 10. The thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. I have come that you may have life and have it to the full. Good God versus bad devil. Simple theology. So if the thief comes only to harm, the implication is obvious that Jesus has come only to give us abundant life. I wish that I had more time to explain this. Please realize this. If we are confused in regards to God's nature to bless and Satan's nature to curse, our prayers can be hindered. Hosea 4.6 My people are destroyed from a lack of knowledge. Consider this. If we are of the belief that God purposely sends bad times into our lives like sickness and disease, a lost job, trouble in the home, etc., to try to teach us something, then we won't be inclined to pray to correct those problems because we believe God had sent them in the first place. As a result, we would allow them to run their course so we can become quote-unquote more humble or something. Well, we wouldn't want to be praying against God's will for our lives, right? I'm being a little sarcastic here. If you as a parent would not purposely make your child crippled in order to teach them some esoteric spiritual truth, neither would your Heavenly Father. Tornadoes, floods, hurricanes are not acts of God, but often the work of Satan as the result of this fallen world groaning under the weight of sin. Romans 8 verse 19 to 22. In Luke 13 16, Jesus said, Then should not this woman, a daughter of Abraham, whom Satan has kept bound for eighteen long years, be set free on the Sabbath day from what bound her? God is a good God, and everything he does is just and perfect. The Bible warns us not to be deceived, according to James 1.16, in believing a lie that God is the author of evil when the devil is. Only good and perfect gifts come from our Heavenly Father for His children. Certainly, God judges people and will bring unimaginable judgments upon a rebellious world in the future. But right now, we are talking about how God deals with His children in this episode. Matthew 7.9 Jesus said, Which of you, if his son asks for bread, will give him a stone? Or if he asks for a fish, will give him a snake? If you then, though you are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father in heaven give good gifts to those who ask him? James 1.16 Don't be deceived, my dear brothers and sisters. Every good and perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of the heavenly lights, who does not change like shifting shadows. He chose to give us birth through the word of truth, that we might be a kind of firstfruits of all he created. There is a whole side of prayer that involves ministering unto the Lord through sweet fellowship and communion. Thank God for that devotional side to prayer. Yet as ambassadors of Christ, we are called to be change agents in the earth today. 
earthen vessels through which God's will for humanity is manifested. Prayer releases the power of God for the salvation of souls, defeating the forces of darkness, and establishing God's kingdom and His will upon the earth. Ezekiel 22.30 So I sought for a person among them who would make up a wall and stand in the gap before me on behalf of the land, that I should not destroy it, but I found no one. God is certainly sovereign, and there are events in our human history and future events that will occur regardless. Yet God has chosen men and women in the past to establish covenant as an entryway into the affairs of mankind, like Abraham, Moses, David, and even Jesus himself as the Son of Man. The Holy Spirit uses the believer to intercede, to stand on behalf of another, for others in tongues, praying the perfect will of God on their behalf. 1 Timothy 2 verse 1 I urge then, first of all, that requests, prayers, intercession, and thanksgiving be made for everyone, for kings and for those in authority, that we may live peaceful and quiet lives in all godliness and holiness. This is good and pleases God our Savior, who wants all people to be saved and to come to a knowledge of the truth. Romans 8.26 In the same way, the Holy Spirit helps us in our weaknesses. We do not know what we ought to pray for, but the Spirit Himself intercedes for us with groans that words cannot express. And He who searches our hearts knows the mind of the Spirit, because the Spirit intercedes for the saints in accordance with God's will. It seems that God needs human representatives on the earth to work through and fulfill His plans and great purpose for mankind. God wants to use you and me as His ambassadors to manifest His kingdom throughout the earth. Prayer is the primary means by which this is accomplished. 1 Peter 2.9 But you are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people belonging to God, that you may declare the praises of Him who called you out of darkness into His wonderful light. Jesus also intercedes for us according to Romans 8.34. Effective Prayer Let's now look at keys to a successful prayer life. Just as in sports, there are different kinds of rules that govern the play of each sport, so it is with different kinds or forms of prayer in the Bible. Just as chaos would ensue if I tried to play basketball with hockey rules or golf with football rules, so it is with prayer. For our prayers to be effective, we need to follow the principles of God's Word as it instructs us how to pray in relation to the different kinds of prayers. I hate to do anything in vain, especially when it comes to prayer. Psalms 127 verse 1 Unless the Lord builds the house, its builders labor in vain. When it comes to prayer, we want to avoid the traditions of men as it pertains to prayer. Unfortunately, in this area of prayer, there's a lot of misunderstanding and as a result, a lot of unanswered prayers that causes a lot of confusion and frustration among believers. It's like dad at Christmas time trying to assemble the kids' toys without using the instructions. Let's go to God's instruction book, the Bible, and see how God would have us pray so we can receive the results he desires for us. God's word works when we follow it as directed. Matthew 15.9 They worship me in vain. Their teachings are but rules taught by men. The very foundation of prayer is based on faith, hope, and love. 1 Corinthians 13.13 And now these three remain, faith, hope, and love, but the greatest of these is love. So to have an effective prayer life, 
we must have faith, hope, and love working in our lives. Let's begin with hope. It is the starting point. It's why we believe in the first place. Colossians 1.5 The faith and love that spring from the hope that is stored up for you in heaven. Hope is the goal, the dream, the blueprint, the target for our faith. It was the hope of heaven that motivated us to be saved. So hope is always the reason for our prayer, and it is always future tense. Romans 4.17-22 and Titus 1.2 In Romans 8.24 it states, For in this hope you were saved, but hope that is seen is no hope at all. Who hopes for what he already has? But if we hope for what we do not yet have, we wait for it patiently. Bible hope is not like the world's definition. Just as the world has a perverted definition of love, so it is with hope and faith. With unbelievers, hope is a wish. It might happen, a long shot, or a slim chance. There is much uncertainty with their view of hope. For the Christian, Bible hope is guaranteed, a sure thing, because it's based on the promises of God who does not lie. The Bible definition of hope is an eager expectation. Philippians 1.20 I eagerly expect and hope that I will in no way be ashamed. Hebrews 6.18 God did this so that by two unchangeable things, in which it is impossible for God to lie, we who have fled to take hold of the hope offered to us may be greatly encouraged. We have this hope as an anchor for the soul, firm and secure. Upon hearing the promises of God, hope springs up from the Bible to inspire us to believe God. It also gives us endurance to wait patiently for the promise to be fulfilled. It is the blueprint for our faith. So the goal of faith is to take the blueprint of hope, the promise of God, and make it a reality. Faith always is present tense. Faith is now. The whole purpose of faith is to take the unseen and make it seen, to manifest in our lives the realities of God in the spiritual realm in our life and others. Like hope and love, this is a huge subject. Many books have been dedicated solely to the subject of faith. We only have time to cover the basics. But one thing to be certain, faith, hope, and love are supernatural. Hebrews 11.1 in the Amplified. Now faith is the substance, assurance, the confirmation, the title deed of things we hope for, being the proof of things we do not see and the conviction of their reality. Faith perceiving as real fact what is not revealed to the five senses. Faith begins where the will of God is known, and God's word is God's will. This is where faith always begins, with the word of God. The Bible is God speaking to me. Jesus is the Word of God, and as such is the expressed will of the Father God. If all Scripture is given by inspiration of God, according to 2 Timothy 3.16, and Romans 10.17 states that, So then faith comes by hearing, and hearing by the Word of God. When I hear God's Word, the force of faith, God's power, comes into my spirit to cause me to believe. This is what eventually brings the promises of God to pass in our lives. 1 John 5.14 This is the confidence we have in approaching God, that if we ask anything according to His will, He hears us. And if we know that He hears us, whatever we ask, we know that we have what we asked of Him. God's Word contains the grace of God, which is the power of God at work in us who believe. Just as we were saved by God's grace through our faith, 
In the gospel message, according to Ephesians 2, 8 and 9, we continue to receive from God the same exact way. It does not stop with salvation. Acts 20, 32. Now I commit you to God and to the word of his grace, which can build you up and give you an inheritance among all those who are sanctified. It is impossible to have faith without God's word. The goal is to hide the scriptures in our hearts by meditating on the word, which means speaking it out loud so we can hear it. This principle is referred to as the word of faith. When we first hear the promise of God in the Bible, we have what is called mental assent, by which we intellectually acknowledge the existence of God's promise for our life. Mentally acquiescing to the promises of God is not enough. However, by continually speaking the promise over and over again through repetition, it will find its way into our spirit. That is when we believe with our heart. It's the same with sharing the gospel. When people hear the gospel, they generally don't get saved the first time. They have to hear it a number of times before they finally believe it in their heart and confess Jesus as their Lord and Savior. Confessing the word is not praying to God. It is a process of speaking the word over and over again until it renews our mind. God's word is spiritual seed, according to Mark chapter 4. It grows in our heart, Luke seventeen twenty nine. In Romans twelve two, it states, Do not conform any longer to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you'll be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, pleasing, and perfect will. Romans ten eight. But what does it say? The word is near you. It is in your mouth and in your heart. That is the word of faith we are proclaiming. That if you confess with your mouth, Jesus is Lord, and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For it is with your heart that you believe and are justified, and it is with your mouth that you confess and are saved. God's word is the cure for doubt. We cannot have doubt concerning the promises of God and expect to receive. We all start with doubts, but as we continue to meditate on the promises of God, faith in God's word will replace our doubts with a bold confidence that the world can't take away. James 1 verse 6 But when he asks, he must believe and not doubt, because he who doubts is like a wave of the sea, blown and tossed by the wind. That man should not think he'll receive anything from the Lord. He is a double-minded man, unstable in all he does. In contrast, let's look at Abraham in Romans 4.17. As it is written, I have made you a father of many nations. He is our father in the sight of God in whom he believed. God who gives life to the dead and calls things that are not as though they were. Against all hope, Abraham in hope believed and so became the father of many nations. Just as it has been said to him, so shall your offspring be. Without weakening in his faith, he faced the fact that his body was as good as dead, since he was about a hundred years old, and that Sarah's womb was also dead. Yet he did not waver through unbelief regarding the promise of God, but was strengthened in his faith and gave glory to God, being fully persuaded that God had the power to do what he had promised. On a side note, Abraham was 75 years old when he received the promise that he would have a son, and it wasn't until he was 100 years old before Isaac was born. So we were looking at a time span of 25 years before he finally believed the promise in his heart and the manifestation came. Now in time, when the harvest of God's word occurs in our spirit, according to Mark chapter 4, verse 26 to 29, then God's word transforms from the word of faith 
to the spirit of faith, and that is when the manifestation or fulfillment takes place. For Jesus, whenever he spoke, it was always the spirit of faith, and things happened quite quickly. For us, we have to first operate in the word of faith to get God's word in our heart. Then in time, could be months or years, we can operate in the spirit of faith. 2 Corinthians 4.13 It is written, I believed, therefore I have spoken. With that same spirit of faith, we also believe and therefore speak. This is often where we miss it. We become impatient. We want it now. The farmer who sows wheat knows it takes time for a harvest and conditions need to be right. So it is with exercising faith in God's word. Remember, delay does not mean denial. Since we know it takes time, God's word will not return void according to Isaiah 55.11. As long as we do not nullify our faith with fear, doubt, or unrepentant sin. In the book of Daniel, chapter 10, verse 10 through 13, Daniel had prayed, and according to Gabriel, the answer was given immediately, but the message was delayed for 21 days due to spiritual warfare in the earth's atmosphere. Just giving faith a try will not work. It must become a committed lifestyle. Hebrews 6.12 We do not want you to become lazy, but to imitate those who through faith and patience inherit what has been promised. We also need to avoid vain repetition when it comes to asking for things in prayer. Just before giving us the model prayer in Matthew 6, 9 through 13, Jesus made an important statement about not asking for the same thing over and over again. This is called vain repetition and will not result in answered prayer. That is not to be confused with meditating on the word of God day and night. That is speaking the word to cause faith to come into our spirit. When we ask by the spirit of faith, We already believe the promise in our heart through much time spent in Bible meditation. Now we receive by asking God or speaking to the problem one time and that ends and settles the matter. Mark 11.23-24 and Luke 17.6 In Matthew 6.7, Jesus said, And when you pray, do not keep on babbling like the pagans, for they think they will be heard because of their many words. Do not be like them. For your Father knows what you need before you even ask Him. Now we saved the best for last, and the most excellent way is walking in love, which is absolutely crucial to having a successful prayer life. If we think that we can treat other people any way we like and expect our prayers to be effective, we have another thing coming. Walking in love is the greatest of all spiritual endeavors according to 1 Corinthians chapter 13. It is through love that faith works and hope has a cause. Galatians 5.6 in the Amplified. But only faith, activated and energized and expressed and working through love. 1 Peter 3.7 in the Amplified. In order that your prayers may not be hindered and cut off, otherwise you cannot pray effectively. When we walk in love by obeying God's word and manifesting the fruit of our recreated human spirit, our spirit is free from sin and anything that would contaminate our hearts from receiving and producing the word of God in our lives. Please refer to the parable of the sower and the different conditions of the heart in Mark chapter 4. When we sin, our hearts condemn us. That's when we need to ask for forgiveness. Until then, our faith and prayers are hindered and put on hold. Galatians 5.22 But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faith, gentleness, and self-control. 
Against such things there is no law. 1 John 3.21 Dear friends, if our hearts do not condemn us, we have confidence before God and receive from Him anything we ask because we obey His commands and do what pleases Him. And this is His command, to believe in the name of His Son, Jesus Christ, and to love one another as He commanded us. If we are in strife with other people, the Scriptures make it clear that we must reconcile ourselves and forgive other people first. If we allow ourselves to be governed by our feelings and get easily offended, we're going to have trouble in our Christian walk. In Ephesians 4, 26 and 27, it warns us not to give in to anger towards other people, because it gives the devil an open door into our lives. In order for our faith to work in our prayer lives, we must learn to walk in love towards other people, all people, saints and sinners alike. We may hate what they do, but we are obligated to love the person and hate the sin. Romans 13.10 Love does no harm to its neighbor. Therefore, love is the fulfillment of the law. James 4.1 What causes fights and quarrels among you? Don't they come from your desires that battle within you? You want something, but you don't get it. You kill and you covet, but you cannot have what you want. You quarrel and fight. You do not have because you do not ask God. Mark 11.25 And when you stand praying, if you hold anything against anyone, forgive him, so that your Father in heaven may forgive you your sins. Here's a really important point to make. Prayer does not change God, because God does not change. Prayer changes us and the circumstances around us through faith, hope, and love. 1 Thessalonians 1.3 We continually remember before our God and Father your work produced by faith, your labor prompted by love, and your endurance inspired by hope in our Lord Jesus Christ. Let's now make a distinction between when to ask and when to claim. This is where a lot of potential confusion can take place. Sometimes we find ourselves asking for things that we already have. We should be appropriating our inheritance through faith for things God has already given us through the redemption that Jesus obtained for us. For example, when it comes to wisdom, God says to ask according to the word. James 1.5 If any of you lacks wisdom, he should ask God who gives generously to all without finding fault, and he will be given to him. But when he asks, he must believe and not doubt, because he who doubts is like a wave of the sea, blown and tossed by the wind. That man should not think he will receive anything from the Lord. He is a double-minded man, unstable in all he does. Yet when it comes to healing, it has already been provided. It just needs to be applied through faith. I like to use the car keys analogy. If I give you my car keys because you need to borrow my car, and the next minute you ask me again for my car keys, I will say, I already gave you the keys to my car. If you persist in asking me for something I already gave you, well, eventually I will get a little frustrated with you. When we ask God to heal us, when he already did so 2,000 years ago, by his stripes we were healed, according to 1 Peter 2.24, we are praying when we should be proclaiming or claiming what is already an established fact. Redemptive provision just needs to be appropriated by speaking the word on the matter. 1 Peter 2.24 He himself bore our sins in his body on the tree, so we might die to sins and live for righteousness. By his wounds you have been healed. Now when it comes to the new birth, the sinner needs only to confess Jesus as their Lord and believe in their heart that God raised him from the dead. 
There's no asking God to save them because salvation has already been provided. When it comes to redemptive issues, confession brings possession. What I confess, I possess. God has done all he's going to do about our sin. Jesus said it is finished. Now, the curse of the law is summed up in three things. Poverty, sickness, and death. Galatians 3.13 Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us. For it is written, Cursed is everyone who is hung on a tree. He redeemed us in order that the blessing given to Abraham might come to the Gentiles through Christ Jesus, so that by faith we might receive the promise of the Spirit, so that what was promised being given through faith in Jesus Christ might be given to those who believe. So whatever we have been redeemed from, we don't have to ask God for it. Just claim it through faith in God's word in Jesus' name. The price has been paid. The gift has been given. All that is left for us to do now is just receive and enjoy it. Luke 17, 21, because the kingdom of God is within you. A quick example, when dealing with demons, you don't have to ask God to cast them out. We already have authority in Jesus' name to drive out demons in the name of Jesus. Now for a word of caution. Beware of experiences. There's an old saying that goes as follows. You can have 10 miles of trials and not grow an inch if in the midst of those trials, you did not act on God's word. There's a huge danger for believers to build doctrine on their experiences. If something goes well, it must be God's will. If something does not go well, then it must not be God's will. That is dangerous. That's like the doctrine of fleecing in the Old Testament with Gideon. The devil can have a field day with that by shaping a believer's theology by their five senses, by their experiences. When we read the story of Jesus telling his disciples to cross the Lake of Galilee in Mark chapter 4, verse 35, that was the will of God based on what Jesus had told them to do. Yet Satan came along and produced a storm in an attempt to drown them and thus nullify the word of God. If I were to use experimental theology, I would say, well, it must not have been the will of God for them to cross over because of the storm. We know as we pursue God's will for our lives, the enemy will try to stop us. So what is our response? Well, it is to follow in Jesus' footsteps and rebuke the storm. And the circumstances of life that attempt to prevent us from fulfilling God's will for our life. Notice Jesus rebuked the disciples for being afraid. Fear, worry, and anxiety is our enemy, and we should resist it like we resist the devil, because they are one and the same. As a matter of fact, the Bible says many times to fear not, or don't be afraid, and for good reason. According to Romans 14.23, fear is a temptation to doubt God, and when we yield to it, it's sin. Adam and Eve, after they had sinned in the Garden of Eden, the first thing they experienced was fear. Genesis 3.10 Here's another experience example. In Jesus' hometown, the locals remembered him as the carpenter and would not accept him as their Messiah or Savior. Jesus, being God in the flesh, could not do any miracles among them. The Bible did not say would not, but that he could not, even though he wanted to, due to the people's lack of faith. Wait, I thought God was sovereign and can do anything he wanted to. Are you saying that a lack of faith could be a reason for people not to receive from God even though it was his will? Absolutely yes. Why isn't that not everybody gets saved? Because of a lack of faith or doubt or unbelief. Just one reason among others. 
When we study the Gospels, we see numerous references that Jesus contributes folks receiving from God due to the individual's faith. It was and always will be God's will for people to have life and have it more abundantly. God doesn't change, neither does his word. Heaven and earth will pass away, but God's words will never pass away. Mark chapter 6 verse 5. And Jesus could not do any miracles there except lay his hands on a few sick folk and healed them. And he was amazed at their lack of faith. God's will is based on God's word, and it does not change. Mark 13.31 Again, heaven and earth will pass away, but my words will never pass away. Jesus said in Mark 9.23 that everything is possible for him who believes. So we have God's established will represented by the Bible. Now all we have to do as believers in Jesus Christ is just believe what is written in it. If we fail to receive from God through prayer, don't give up. We are not a failure until we quit. Just as it takes time for a farmer to become skilled in his trade, so it takes time for believers to become trained in the art of prayer. We have a lifetime to learn. If our prayers were not answered, and they were based on God's word, it's not because it was not God's will. We just need to ask God for wisdom, according to James 1.5 in order to find out where we missed it. Make the adjustments, try again. Unfortunately, many Christians will spiritualize their bad experience and rationalize it as just not God's will. Please don't go there, my friend. Too many traditions of men are floating around as it is. According to Romans 3.3, just because someone else does not get healed does not make God a liar or his word untrue or not his will for that person. It was his will for them to get healed, just as it is his will for lost folks to get saved. God's not willing that any should perish and go to hell, yet they still do, but that's not God's fault, and nor did his word fail. Just because people die and go to hell does not change my belief that it is God's will for them to be saved. Those folks, for whatever reason, did not receive Jesus. When Christians don't receive the promises of God in their lives, there is always a reason, but not that God or his word ever failed, or God has changed his mind. We just need to ask God for wisdom to find out where we need to change, and make the change, and try again. God is not schizophrenic, nor does he give and then take away. You will not find scripture in the New Testament to support that. If God were always changing his mind, how could anyone have any faith or confidence in a moving target? No, the scriptures make it plain that God is the same and does not change. Just as we explored that point in our last episode concerning the nature of God. Now, it is true that God is sovereign according to the scriptures as they are correctly interpreted. However, God will not break his covenant, according to Deuteronomy 7 9, or violate a person's free will, Deuteronomy 30 19. Nor does he lie or change his mind, Numbers 23 19, or allow his word to ever fail, Isaiah 55 11. Now, Romans 3.3 states this, What if some did not have faith? Will their lack of faith nullify God's faithfulness? Not at all. Let God be true and every person a liar. So why do bad things happen to good people? We're not always going to know the secret things in folks' hearts. But we do know that we have an adversary, the devil, looking for whom he may devour. But the Bible tells us to resist him. James 4.7 and 1 Peter 5.9 Sometimes people are just reaping what they have sowed, Galatians 6-7. 
If we find ourselves giving in to fear, worry, and anxiety, that gives power to the enemy. Just read Job 3.25. If we are living in habitual sin, harboring bitterness, pride, and wrath, etc., you know, bad things will happen. It's not God's will for us to suffer the consequences of sin any more than it was for the Israelites to have suffered the consequences of sin and unbelief in 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verses 1-13, through 13, nor for them to wander in the desert an additional 40 years. We're not always going to know why, but we have God's word that keeps the record straight. Proverbs 21-23, He who guards his mouth and his tongue keeps himself from calamity. Luke 13, verse 1. Now there were some present at that time who told Jesus about the Galileans whose blood Pilate had mixed with their sacrifices. Jesus answered, Do you think that these Galileans were worse sinners than all the other Galileans because they suffered this way? I tell you no, but unless you repent, you too will all perish. Or the eighteen who died when the tower in Siloam fell on them, Do you think that they were more guilty than all the others living in Jerusalem? I tell you no. But again, unless you repent, you too will all perish. So what is Jesus saying? If we're living in unrepentant sin, we're opening the door to the enemy and opening ourselves to bad things to happen. That's for saints or sinners alike. 1 Corinthians 11 verse 30. This is why many among you are weak and sick, and a number of you have fallen asleep. In other words, died prematurely. But if we judged ourselves, we would not come under judgment. When it comes to prayer, when it comes to prayer, sometimes we need to diagnose and troubleshoot our prayers. There is certainly an element of timing. So having done all to stand, stand. Through faith and patience, we will inherit the promises. But there are times when we get to a point where we pray and pray, but get no results. This is when we need to conduct a diagnostic check. First, are my prayers founded on God's word? And am I expecting results? Am I being specific with God? You know, we reap what we sow. Vague prayers are not effective. If we're asking for nothing in particular, that's what we're going to get. Are my motives pure in the matter? And have I cast all my cares upon the Lord? Am I walking in love and forgiving others? Am I living in purity, applying the blood of Jesus often according to 1 John 1 verse 9? Am I willing and obedient to follow God's will and direction for my life and seek first His kingdom continually? Have I overloaded my faith in the matter? I may need to involve others in the prayer of agreement. Ask God for wisdom and counsel. The Holy Spirit is a great teacher. Matthew 6-7 says to avoid repetitious praying. Praying the same thing over and over again is simply digging up the seed that we planted and you get nowhere with that. And finally, am I using praise and thanksgiving in my prayer life? The Prayer Toolbox We pray because we are in continual need of God's grace, His power at work in us who believe. Communicating with God, as we have just covered, is pretty much just speaking from our heart to God. Fellowshipping with our God is at the heart of prayer. Now we turn our attention to another side of prayer that addresses getting things done or accomplishing things in this life through the power of prayer. This is the business side of prayer. We're going to be looking at all kinds of prayers in the Bible. Ephesians 6.18 is our main text. And pray in the Spirit on all occasions, with all kinds of prayers and requests. With this in mind, be alert 
and always keep on praying for all the saints. The first prayer we're going to look at in our toolbox is the prayer of petition. By far, the most frequent prayer of Christians is the prayer of petition. We should only be asking the Father for something when the Scripture directs us to. Consider James 1, 5 through verse 8. When we pray the prayer of petition, always ask the Father in the name of Jesus, going to the throne of grace. The prayer of petition primarily concerns an individual's desires, needs, and problems. It's when we do the praying, not someone else praying for us or agreeing with us in prayer. Yet there are scriptures that in the Greek, the word for ask is actually rendered as strictly a demand for something due. Not that we demand of God, rather we're placing a withdrawal on the provisions of the covenant or demanding the devil to back off. Matthew 21.22, Jesus said, if you believe, you will receive whatever you ask for in prayer. The prayer of petition must be a prayer of faith. When we pray the prayer of petition, we're believing that we have received it. If we will do that, we will have what we ask for. God is concerned about our needs, and he wants to meet them for us. So he gave us all those precious promises for us to claim. They're all seeds. So plant the seed to meet the need. By speaking it, the sowing is in the saying. Jesus said in John sixteen twenty three. In that day you will no longer ask, make a claim for what has already been provided, me for anything. At that time Jesus was talking in reference to his resurrection, when he had purchased our eternal redemption. As children of God, we can go directly to the Father through Jesus. Ephesians 2.18 For through Jesus we both have access to the Father by one Spirit. John 15.16 Jesus said you did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you to go and bear fruit, fruit that will last. Then the Father will give you whatever you ask in my name. John sixteen twenty three. In that day you will no longer ask me for anything. I tell you the truth, my Father will give you whatever you ask in my name. Until now you have not asked for anything in my name. Ask and you will receive and your joy will be complete. Now, it's assumed we understand in Scripture that we ask in accordance with His will, which is His word. I can't ask God for wisdom to rob a bank because that would be violating His word about stealing. Number two, the prayer of consecration. In the Garden of Gethsemane, Christ prayed the prayer of submission, consecration, and dedication. Luke twenty-two forty-two, Father, if you are willing, take this cup from me, yet not my will, but yours be done. Jesus wanted to do what the Father had called him to do. It was not a prayer of petition. It was not a prayer to get something or to change something. It was a prayer of consecration and submission to the will of God. When we consecrate our lives for God's use, to go anywhere and do anything he wants us to do, we pray this kind of prayer. In a prayer of consecration and dedication, we pray, If it be your will. When it comes to changing things or receiving something from God, however, we do not pray if it be your will, because we already have God's word concerning it, because God's word is God's will. We know it is his will that our needs be met. But when we don't know what God's will is for the future, and we simply want to go on record that we're willing to do whatever he asks us to do, then we can pray, Father, if it's your will, I'll go to this place or that place or take this job or take that job. That's the prayer of consecration. Not my will, Father, but your will be done in Jesus' name. Number three, we come to the prayer of worship. 
The prayer of worship is about spending time in fellowship with God. We are not asking for anything in particular. Consider Mary, the sister of Lazarus, who sat at the feet of Jesus, who just spent quality time with him. This is time where we minister to the Lord and just tell him how much we love and appreciate him. Not only do we need to minister to the Lord in our individual prayer lives, but we also need to do it as a group. Acts 13, verse 1-4 through The prayer of worship is also conducted by taking time to wait on God in His presence, not saying anything, but just sitting before Him in reverence and awe. Notice that in Acts 13, verse 3, that they fasted, abstained in order to focus on the Lord and quiet their body and mind. Jesus said that the Father is looking for those who would worship Him in spirit and in truth, John 4, verse 23. Then there is praising and worshiping God in the Spirit, speaking in other tongues, Ephesians 5.19. Notice what Paul said in 1 Corinthians chapter 14, verse 15. So what shall I do? I will pray with my spirit, but I'll also pray with my mind. I will sing with my spirit, but I'll also sing with my mind. If you are praising God with your spirit, how could one who finds himself among those who do not understand say amen to your thanksgiving? since he does not know what you are saying. You may be giving thanks well enough, but the other man is not edified. I thank God that I speak in tongues more than all of you. We have such an awesome privilege to have fellowship with Almighty God. He made mankind for his own pleasure. It is true that God is concerned about us and wants to meet our every need, but our highest destiny in life is to express our love, worship, and fellowship with him who is so worthy. We are born of God, and He is our Father. No earthly parent ever enjoyed the fellowship of his or her children more than God enjoys the fellowship of His sons and daughters. Sometimes there are services where we are not going to petition God to do anything. We are coming as a group to wait on the Lord, to minister to Him, and to worship Him. Remember, this is a type of prayer. I have heard that praise is the highest form of prayer. We're not just talking about 10 minutes, perhaps an hour or more. This is so foreign to our Western way of thinking. We get so antsy and fidgety that we miss one of the greatest privileges and blessings available to us as Christians. This is time to minister to the Lord, praise Him, tell Him how much we love Him, and thank Him for His goodness and mercy. With our hearts full of love and praise, yielded to the Lord, the Holy Spirit can manifest Himself and make known God's will and leading for His children's lives. Great things can and will happen. There are times in our lives and ministry that only the prayer of praise and worship will get the job done. Now we come to number four, united prayer. This kind of prayer taps into the awesome resources of the corporate anointing. All through the early church, they continually joined together in prayer with dramatic results. Acts 4.23 On their release, Peter and John went back to their own people and reported all that the chief priests and elders had said to them. When they heard this, they raised their voices together in prayer to God. Now, Lord, consider their threats and enable your servants to speak your word with great boldness. Stretch out your hand to heal and perform miraculous signs and wonders through the name of your holy servant Jesus. After they prayed, the place where they were meeting was shaken, and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and spoke the word of God boldly. United prayer is everyone praying at once in a Holy Spirit-orchestrated melody of prayer unto God. 
Nowhere in the New Testament will you find a reference to someone leading in prayer. However, the Bible says that they lifted their voices up to God together. They all prayed at once, and they all prayed out loud. Yet their praying was for something specific. They were definite in their praying. They were not praying some generalized prayer. They were praying about the need that faced them, and they all prayed at once from different angles as the Holy Spirit led them. Did you notice that after Peter and John returned from being threatened by the religious leaders, that they did not ask the Lord to remove the persecution or to strike down their enemies? They had not asked the Lord to make their way easy? Instead, they had prayed that in the midst of persecution, they might preach the word with boldness, and the Lord answered their prayer. Acts 1.14 They all joined together constantly in prayer, along with the women and Mary, the mother of Jesus, and with his brothers. If we could just learn to get together and pray with one accord, no more denominations, no more names, no more titles, all under the banner of the Lord Jesus Christ, blood-washed and blood-bought, then we will see the power of God released to bless many. Let it be said of us, as it was said of the Apostle Paul and his company in Acts 17, verse 6, These that have turned the world upside down have come here also. That is because of unity, the power of unity. Remember at the day of Pentecost in Acts 2.1, when the day of Pentecost came, they were all together in one place, all together in one place. That's unity. How about Paul and Silas, who had been thrown in jail in Philippi after being severely flogged and placed in stocks for preaching the gospel? Instead of having a pity party and complaining to the Lord about what had happened to them, they lifted their voices to the Lord in songs of praise. They were obviously praying out loud because the prisoners heard them. They were not off in some corner, mumbling quiet, forlorn pleas to God. The prisoners heard them as they sang praises unto God boldly. When Paul and Silas joined forces in prayer and praise to God, the very foundations of the prison were shaken, the stocks came off their feet, and the prison doors flung open wide. Acts 16.25 About midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God, and the other prisoners were listening to them. Suddenly, there was such a violent earthquake that the foundations of the prison were shaken. At once, all the prison doors flew open, and everybody's chains came loose. Number 5. The Prayer of Commitment Do you sometimes pray about a problem with seemingly no results? Unanswered prayers usually are due to us not praying in line with God's word. Oftentimes, there are times when we need to pray the prayer of commitment. Peter talked about this kind of prayer when he said in 1 Peter 5.7, Cast all your anxiety on him because he cares for you. The Amplified Translation of the Bible states it this way, Casting the whole of your care, all your anxieties, all your worries, all your concerns, once and for all on him, for he cares for you affectionately and cares about you watchfully. What a privilege that we can cast our cares upon the Lord in prayer, and He'll take them from us. Not some of them, but He wants all of them. If people would just pray this prayer of commitment, it would actually eliminate some of the things they are praying about. Some people's prayers are not answered because they are not doing what God said to do about their cares, anxieties, worries, and concerns. Other Christians seem satisfied to think that God knows and understands all about their problems, but they still cling to these cares. Therefore, they do not get their prayers answered. 
It's not enough to know that God understands and is concerned. We must do what he said to do, and that is to cast all of our cares unto him, because he wants us to be delivered from those problems. Casting all our cares, all our anxieties, all our worries upon him, for he cares for us. This is the prayer of commitment, the prayer of casting or rolling our cares and burdens upon him. Psalms 37.5 Commit your way to the Lord, trust in him, and he will do this. Some may request, pray that the Lord will lighten this load. He's not going to do that. He does not want to just lighten your load. He wants to carry it all. But there is a vital part that we must play in this. It is the prayer of commitment. Once we turn our problems over to him, it is out of our hands. So don't take them back. Worry is like a rocking chair. It will give you something to do, but you won't get anywhere. Now we come to number six, the prayer of agreement. Of the many prayer promises in the Bible, perhaps none is more significant than Matthew 18.19. To get the full impact of what Jesus is saying, let's look at the verses preceding and following it. Matthew 18, verse 18. Jesus said, I tell you the truth, whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven, and whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. Again, I tell you, if two of you on earth agree about anything you ask for, it will be done for you by my Father in heaven. For where two or three come together in my name, there I am with them. Now, P.C. Nelson, a Greek scholar, said the literal Greek rendering of Jesus' statement is, If you shall ask anything in my name and I don't have it, I will make it for you. Matthew 18.20 says, For where two or three come together in my name, there I am with them. We usually apply this prayer to a church service. Of course, it can refer to this. But what Jesus really was saying here is wherever these two people are who agree, he is right there with them to make their prayer good. Jesus is bringing out the fact that whatever we bind on earth will be bound in heaven, and whatever we loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. Heaven will back us up in what we do on earth. We have the authority to loose and to bind in Jesus' name. Oftentimes in prayer, people are waiting on God when God is waiting on us. When we make our move in line with God's word, God will then move. Here is another angle to Matthew 18.18. Whatever is already bound in heaven, you can bind on earth, or whatever is loosed or permitted in heaven, you have authority to loose on the earth. For example, there is no sickness, poverty, or depression in heaven, so we can bind those things from operating in our lives on the earth. There is joy, peace, and love in heaven, so we can loose those spiritual forces on the earth. So whatever exists in heaven, we can loose in the earth, and whatever is not allowed in heaven, we have authority to bind on the earth. That is just what the Lord's Prayer was doing while Jesus was on earth in Matthew 6, verse 9 through 11. This then is how you should pray. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us today our daily bread. We may be mighty in prayer alone, but we can be mightier with someone joining us. Through the prayer of agreement with others, we can do many times as much as we can do by ourselves. It's called a force multiplier through prayer. Number seven, the prayer of intercession. Romans 8.26 In the same way, the Holy Spirit helps us in our weaknesses. We do not know what we ought to pray for. But the Spirit Himself intercedes for us with groans that words cannot express. 
The Greek translation of the last phrase of this verse reads, with groanings which cannot be uttered in articulate speech. Therefore, this verse includes groanings and praying in tongues, or what we call travail. 1 Corinthians 14.14 in the Amplified, My spirit by the Holy Spirit within me prays. Notice in Romans 8.26 that we don't know what we should be praying for. We can't possibly know in our natural minds how to pray as we should because there are so many things known only to God. But the Holy Spirit helps us in our weaknesses. The Holy Spirit will help us and will make intercession for us with groanings which cannot be uttered in articulate speech. In other words, it can be a combination of tongues and groaning sounds or travail. This does not mean it's something the Holy Spirit does apart from us. That would make the Holy Spirit responsible for our prayer life, and He is not. We are responsible for our own prayer life. Notice that this verse says that He helps us. He is not sent to do our praying for us. He is sent to help us in every aspect of our life, and especially our prayer life. There are some things that can come out of our heart that cannot be expressed in natural words. It is the Holy Spirit helping us as these groans come up out of our spirit and escape our lips. It is the Holy Spirit in the ministry of intercession through us. What an honor to be a vessel used by Him. A prayer of intercession is praying for another person, not ourselves. An intercessor takes the place of another. We can pray in tongues for our own personal edification as long and as much as we want. 1 Corinthians 14.4 He who speaks in a tongue edifies himself. However, the Bible talks about a level of intercession that comes out as groanings or travail. The word travail speaks of labor and childbirth in the natural. However, there is a spiritual travail that takes place for everyone who is born into the kingdom of God. Even though Jesus has purchased redemption for mankind, it is up to the church to intercede and travail for the lost in order to bring them to Christ. Isaiah 66 verse 7 Before she goes into labor, she gives birth. Before the pains come upon her, she delivers a son. Who has ever heard of such a thing? Who has ever seen such things? Can a country be born in a day, or a nation be brought forth in a moment? Yet no sooner is Zion in labor than she gives birth to her children. Do I bring to the moment of birth and not give delivery, says the Lord? Do I close up the womb when I bring to delivery, says your God? Unbelievers remain unbelievers because they are deceived by Satan through this world system. If the revelation of the light of the gospel shined in their hearts, they would see the truth, believe and receive Jesus as Lord and be born again. This is where intercession comes in. It moves the barriers that hinders and blocks sinners from coming to Jesus. 2 Corinthians 4 verse 3 And even if our gospel is veiled, it is veiled to those who are perishing. The God, small g, of this age has blinded the minds of unbelievers so they cannot see the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ who is the image of God. This kind of travail and intercession does not stop after people are born again. The Apostle Paul was still travailing in spirit-led intercession for the Christians at Galatia until they grew up in Christ and matured in their faith. Galatians 4.19 My dear children, for whom I am again in the pains of childbirth until Christ is formed in you. 
Note, as spirit-filled Christians, we cannot push a button and begin to travail. Remember, it is as the Holy Spirit within our spirit that gives the utterance. Devotional tongues we can turn on and off as we will, but travail is as the Holy Spirit leads us. However, if we consecrate ourselves to God and make ourselves available, the Holy Spirit will not disappoint us and will use us often, as often as we're willing, especially since there aren't many believers in the body of Christ who are in a position to be spirit-filled and to be used in this fashion. For instance, I tell the Lord I don't know how to pray for others as I ought to, but I'm looking for the Holy Spirit to give me the utterance. As I begin to pray in faith, I believe the Holy Spirit is praying the perfect will of God for that person, according to their needs and God's will for their life. If during the course of prayer, the Spirit takes me into deep travail and groaning in the Spirit, I just yield and give voice to that utterance until the burden to pray lifts. Actually, you will know when you are done praying, because the travail carries a deeper anointing and authority. When it lifts, there is usually a deep peace and a quiet rest or joy or even laughter, quite a contrast to the deep groanings in the Spirit. This kind of praying in the Spirit gets the job done when nothing else will. The Holy Spirit makes intercession through us to the throne of grace. Hebrews 4.16 Let us then approach the throne of grace with confidence, so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help us in our time of need. 1 John 5.16 If anyone sees his brother commit a sin that does not lead to death, he should pray and God will give him life. Romans 8.34 Who is he that condemns? Christ Jesus who died, more than that, who is raised to life, is at the right hand of God and is also interceding for us. Now we come to number 8, the prayer of forgiveness. 1 John 1.9 If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just and will forgive us our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. This is a prayer that all of us Christians should be quite familiar with praying, most likely every day. Sin separates us from God and causes our heart to be condemned. The Holy Spirit convicts the sinner of his or her need for Jesus. But when a believer sins, his or her own recreated spirit makes it plain that we are out of fellowship with God. We are still children of God. It is just that sin breaks fellowship and interrupts communication. With sin comes guilt, shame, and condemnation. As a result, our faith is undermined. Our ability to function as Christians, not to mention our prayer life, is greatly hindered until we confess the sin and receive a cleansing in the blood of the Lord Jesus. Then our confidence in prayer returns. 1 John 3.18 Dear children, let us not love with words or tongue, but with actions and in truth. This then is how we know that we belong to the truth, and how we set our hearts at rest in His presence. Whenever our hearts condemn us, For God is greater than our hearts, and He knows everything. Dear friends, if our hearts do not condemn us, we have confidence before God and receive from Him anything we ask, because we obey His commands and do what pleases Him. And this is His command, to believe in the name of His Son, Jesus Christ, and to love one another as He commanded us. Those who obey His commands live in Him and He in them. And this is how we know that He lives in us. We know it by the Holy Spirit He has given us. This is really important to understand. If our heart is not condemning us when feelings of condemnation come, it's just the devil trying to put false condemnation on us in order to place us in bondage. 
resist those feelings and base our faith on the word. Having already confessed those sins we know of to God, don't worry about the sins of omission that we are not aware of. I just used a blanket prayer for those things. Father, is there anything else that I am not aware of? I place those sins under the blood of Jesus also. 2 Corinthians 2.10 If you forgive anyone, I also forgive him. And what I have forgiven, if there was anything to forgive, I have forgiven in the sight of Christ for your sake. We need to keep our hearts pure by acting on 1 John 1.9 as needed. When we walk in the light of God's word that we have, according to Philippians 3.16, then we have confidence before God. Remember, God's grace is not a license for sin, according to Jude 1.4. Romans 8 verse 1 states, Therefore there is no condemnation or condemning sentence for those who are in Christ Jesus, because through Christ Jesus, the law of the Spirit of life set me free from the law of sin and death. Now we come to our last prayer in our toolbox. Again, I don't want to say this is an exhaustive list, but I thank God for these nine different kinds of prayers in our toolbox. The prayer of authority, also known as the prayer of faith. This is a prayer that changes things. We're not talking to God or asking him for anything. We are using our God-given authority and power in the name of Jesus to speak to circumstances and mountains that are contrary to God's will, commanding them to move in Jesus' name. Speaking to the mountain, Mark 11.22 Have faith in God, Jesus answered. I tell you the truth, if anyone says to this mountain, Go throw yourself into the sea, and does not doubt in his heart, but believes that what he says will happen, it will be done for him. Therefore I tell you, whatever you ask for in prayer, believe that you have received it, and it will be yours. The mountain has no choice. We are calling it the way we want it. The mountain of problem must obey. It has no other choice. Notice in the ministry of Jesus that he talked to trees, to the wind, to the sea, dead people, and demons, and they all obeyed him. Mark 4.35, Luke 5.24, chapter 6, verse 10, chapter 17, verse 12, and John 5.8. You may say, but that was Jesus. True, but let's read Mark 11.22 again, and you will notice that he has given us authority to walk in his footsteps, according to John chapter 14, verse 12 and 13, and 1 John 2.6. Take the word that is stored in your heart, the sword of your spirit, and destroy the problems in your life. Speak directly to the problem. Too often people are waiting on God to move their problem out of the way when God is waiting for them to speak to the problem through faith in Jesus' name. Remember, these words did not originate with us. They are not words we had dreamed up. We are simply speaking God's word to the mountain or problems in life, not our own words. When we put Bible promises in our hearts and speak them out of our mouths on the authority of God's word, the facts in our life have to obey, and conform to God's eternal truths. However, if we venture out into presumption, outside the written word of God, we are speaking after the traditions of men, and presumption results in no power to move mountains. Saying and believing brings results according to Mark 11.22-24. However, just speaking to the mountain for the sake of just speaking won't cut it. Anyone can do that, even unbelievers. The ungodly do not have Bible faith to move mountains. In 2 Thessalonians 3.2, it states, 
and pray that we may be delivered from wicked and evil men, for not everyone has faith. We must believe that everything we say to the mountain will come to pass. Believing is a prerequisite to moving the mountain. We must release faith from our hearts in every word we speak. That is the spirit of faith. That moves mountains out of our lives. When we pray, believe that we receive the answer, that we have it, it's ours, and we take it now. Faith is the title deed, that is our possession according to Hebrews 11.1. When Jesus rebuked the fig tree in Mark 11.13, notice that he spoke words. He did not pull out a machete in order to break it into pieces. Did you also notice that Jesus did not ask the Father God to zap it? It is true that sometimes our prayers are directed upwards as petitions, requesting things from the Father. Other times, we need to release our faith in the name of Jesus towards obstacles that stand in our way, like the devil. When a believer casts out a demon, he does not lift his or her eyes to heaven and ask the Father to cast the demon out. Is that how Jesus did it while on earth? No. Jesus operated as a man with authority, and he addressed the devil. He told him what to do. Jesus had delegated that authority to us so we can deal with the enemy the same way that he did. Matthew 10, 1 and verse 8, chapter 28, verse 18 to 20, Mark 16, 17, and Luke chapter 10, verse 18 to 20. We need to demand it in the name of Jesus. John 14, verse 13. Jesus said, And I will do whatever you ask in my name, so that the Son may bring glory to the Father. You may ask me for anything in my name, and I will do it. The Greek definition for ask is actually rendered here as strictly a demand for something due. Are we demanding from Jesus? No, we are demanding the devil to cease and desist from his maneuvers and operations. In other words, to get his filthy hands off of God's property. Consider this, it would not be scriptural to ask God for anything that he has already given us through the redemptive work of Jesus Christ. Take the new birth for example. Romans 10.10 does not say to pray the prayer of petition in order to receive salvation, in other words, asking for it. Actually, we're to confess it or claim for it. That passage simply says, confess Jesus as Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead. Oftentimes, the appropriate tack to take is to claim what already belongs to us in Jesus' name, 2 Peter 1.4. Other times, a situation warrants that we use our God-given authority in Jesus' name and demand the devil to get out of the way, John 14.13. If we need wisdom, then ask God for it, because the Bible instructs us to do so in James 1.5. If we need healing, say, I claim healing for my body according to 1 Peter 2.24. If we need strength, then say the following, body, be strengthened in Jesus' name, according to Philippians 4.13. Whatever God has promised us in his word, we have the right to claim for our lives and say, it's mine, I receive it now. Too many of God's children are laying around the pool of Bethesda, waiting for the troubling of the waters, according to John chapter 5, verse 1 through 16, waiting for some spiritual handout. All the while, Jesus is standing there saying, come and dine. I have a glorious table of redemption for you to feast on and to be satisfied. Oh, do you need some healing? Here, have a loaf of it. You must be thirsty. Have a drink of the Holy Spirit. Make sure you have thirds of prosperity pie. 
Unfortunately, many of God's children are subjected to spiritual poverty by the lies of man's religion, groping around in life as beggars. Sadly, the devil and his crowd just stand around and laugh at us as we make feeble attempts at being spiritual and virtue signaling, sincere but ignorant. If we go through life barely getting along, it's not God's will or his fault. He has already made ample provision available for us to go through life in style, blessed to be a blessing. John 10.10 and Romans 8.31-39, 1 Timothy 6.17 and 3 John 2. It's not automatic. It requires diligence and patience. But what a witness to the world when we tap into the manifold grace of God. And also what a reflection upon the shepherd when the sheep are in great shape. Remember to use the right rules for the prayer of authority. This prayer is one to change circumstances. We are to speak directly to the problem in Jesus' name. When we pray for something or to change circumstances, we never pray if it be your will. If we do, then we're using the wrong rule and it won't work. Remember, using hockey rules for golf, it doesn't work. The only time Jesus prayed a prayer that it included an if was a prayer of consecration and dedication in the Garden of Gethsemane. Father, if you are willing, take this cup from me, yet not my will, but yours be done. Luke twenty-two forty-two. When Jesus prayed at Lazarus's tomb, he didn't pray, if it be your will, he said, Father, I thank you that you have heard me. In John 11:41, he then commanded Lazarus to come forth, and Lazarus came forth. Final prayer tips. When Jesus said in Mark 9:23, everything is possible to him who believes. Does that mean that God answers every prayer from every human being? This is a loaded question. We could talk about the power of life and death in the tongue which applies to Christians and unbelievers alike, or the power of unity like the story of the Tower of Babel in Genesis 11.6. It states that the Lord said, If as one people speaking the same language, they have begun to do this, then nothing they plan to do will be impossible for them. The Word of God and the spiritual laws within God's Word define the parameters from which the principles of prayer operate. No one has access to the Father except through Jesus Christ. So until a person is born again, there is no prayer life until he or she is born again. Once a person receives the new birth, they need to be taught and become acquainted with the kingdom of God and the principles and laws that govern it. So we're going to be covering a number of rules that govern the area of prayer. Rule number one is free will. Deuteronomy 30.19 This day I call heaven and earth as witnesses against you, that I have set before you life and death, blessings, and curses. Now choose life so that you and your children may live. Our prayers cannot override another person's free will. We can't force the blessings of God on someone if they do not want it. Nor can we make someone like us. Any attempt to manipulate or force someone through prayer is considered to be witchcraft. Rule number two, the love rule. Galatians 5.6 The only thing that counts is faith expressing itself through love. 1 Peter 3.7 Husbands, in the same way, be considerate as you live with your wives, and treat them with respect as the weaker partner and as heirs with you of the gracious gift of life, so that nothing will hinder your prayers. If we are not walking in love towards others, then we can expect our prayers to be hindered. Rule number three, the obedience rule. James 4.17 Anyone then who knows the good he ought to do and doesn't do it, sins. 1 John 3.21 
Dear friends, if our hearts do not condemn us, we have confidence before God. Unrepentant sin will result in condemnation in our life. Our very own heart will testify against us that we are out of fellowship with God. Use 1 John 1.9 to purify your heart from all acts of sin. Rule number 4. The Repetitious Prayer Rule Matthew 6.7 And Jesus said, And when you pray, do not keep on babbling like pagans, for they think they will be heard because of their many words. The prayer of faith is prayed once, and then we thank the Father for the answer to our prayer thereafter. Rule number 5. The Will of God Rule 1 John 5.14 This is the confidence we have in approaching God, that if we ask anything according to His will, He hears us. And if we know that He hears us, whatever we ask, we know that we have what we've asked of Him. We all know that faith begins where the will of God is known. If the will of God is in doubt concerning a need, it's impossible to pray the prayer of faith until we find scripture that covers the need. Too many Christians present their prayers to God too quickly, without doing a little research in the Bible. We need to find the promises in God's word that cover the need we have. Next, does the Bible instruct us to ask God for it, or to just claim it, as a promise already provided? James 1.15 tells us to ask God for wisdom, and Hebrews 4.16 tells us to come to the throne of grace to receive mercy and to find grace, and to do so boldly. Many times, whatever we need, the Bible tells us that Jesus has already provided it for us. Therefore, all we have to do is simply apply it in our lives through faith, by personalizing the promise, by confessing it over our lives. Other times, we need to use the authority in the name of Jesus and put the devil under our feet. Through the Word and the Spirit of God, we can find the appropriate course of action to take in dealing with the issue. The Bible tells us in 2 Timothy 2.15 to study the Word of God. Hosea 4.6 tells us that my people are destroyed from a lack of knowledge. What you don't know, you can't have, even when it is part of your inheritance already. So be diligent to find out through the Word of God who you are, what you have, and how you are to live in Christ Jesus. Rule number six, the right motive rule. James chapter four, verse one, what causes fights and quarrels among you? Don't they come from your desires that battle within you? You want something, but you don't get it. You kill and covet, but you cannot have what you want. You quarrel and fight. You do not have because you do not ask God. And when you ask, you do not receive because you ask with wrong motives that you may spend what you get on your pleasures. You adulterous people, Don't you know that friendship with the world is hatred toward God? Anyone who chooses to be a friend of the world becomes an enemy of God. God wants to bless his children with good things. 1 Timothy 6.17 But if our motive is to compete and compare ourselves with others, these covetous, greedy prayers will not be answered. The promises of God are activated by our faith in God's word. Faith comes from the heart, and faith works by love. If our heart is not right, then no matter how pretty our words sound, they will just drop to the ground as dead seed. Rule number seven, the law of the harvest rule. According to Jesus in the parable of the sower, the seed is the word of God, Luke 8.11. In this season, we have already talked at length about this concept. Now I want to discuss how the seed gets into our hearts and how it grows there in order to produce a harvest. The law of seed time and harvest goes back to Genesis chapter 1 verse 11 through 12 and chapter 8 verse 20 through 22. God's natural and spiritual creations operate on these eternal laws. Here is something that we should never forget. Words are seeds. 
But God's word is incorruptible seed, according to 1 Peter 1.23. There is a big difference between the two. Sometimes people think it's going to happen just because they say it. Saying it is involved in planting it. The problem has been that people say a few things, they plant a few seeds, and they go off and leave them. We must care for that seed, because it takes time for things to manifest. When we preach the gospel, we are sowing seeds, by speaking words. In this case, gospel words. When we speak words, we are sowing seeds. If we don't like the harvest we have been receiving, then we had better check on the seed we have been sowing. We could be sowing weeds, like idle words. What we are today is a product of the words we spoke yesterday. What we say is what we will get, because if we keep saying it, we will eventually believe it in our heart. The things that we believe in our heart will come to pass in time. God made our spirit to produce whatever, indiscriminately, we plant in there. If we don't like the harvest, simply check on the seeds or the words we have been speaking. Remember, it's not going to happen just because we've said it once. Generally speaking, we must say it over a period of time for it to really be planted in the soil of our heart. The following scriptures are the seeds that move mountains. None of the circumstances that we start speaking to will appear to have changed, but it will if we hold fast to our confession of faith, Hebrews 4.14 and 10.23. Jesus said that they would obey our faith-filled words. Our faith-filled words are the seeds that will move the mountains out of our life. The sowing is in the saying. Mark 4.14 The farmer sows the word. Others, like seeds sown on good soil, hear the word, accept it, and produce a crop. 30, 60, or even 100 times what was sown. God's word is sowed in our hearts when we speak it through meditating on the promises of God. The seed contains the spirit life of God, John 6.63. Yet until it is sown into our spirit, it does not produce anything. Unless a farmer plants the seed, he can't expect a harvest. The act of sowing or planting is a prerequisite for any kind of a harvest. The same is true for the believer. The harvest or manifestation of the promise comes after the word of promise has been first sowed into our heart. Then God causes it to grow, and the harvest comes in a process of time. Proverbs 24 A sluggard does not plow in season, so at harvest time he looks but finds nothing. Proverbs 18.20 From the fruit of his mouth a man's stomach is filled. With the harvest from his lips he is satisfied. Isaiah 61.11 For as the soil makes the sprout come up, and a garden causes seeds to grow, so the Sovereign Lord will make righteousness and praise spring up before all nations. When a seed comes in contact with the soil and water, the seed germinates. The creative life within that seed is released. God's word is incorruptible seed, and the life within that seed is God's grace, which is His power, life, and ability. Water is a type of the Holy Spirit. John 4.10-14 Chapter 7, verse 37 to 39. The Holy Spirit acts as a catalyst to the Word of God, releasing the grace of God within it in order to produce the life of God that results in a harvest of blessing and provision for our lives. In the natural, the soil will not argue with the farmer and produce something contrary to what is planted. For example, if you were to plant wheat, but the soil decides to produce corn, 
Well, that would be pretty strange. Some people have gotten the idea that it does not matter what kind of seed they sow, and it does not matter what they say. People will often say, well, God knows what I mean. Maybe so, but the issue is our heart doesn't. It is programmed by God to produce whatever we sow in it, our words, whether they're good or bad. The soil of our heart does not decide whether the words we plant or say are right or wrong. It will simply produce a harvest according to the type of seed we have planted there. Some people, in an attempt in being honest, will share with others how they feel. Even when they pray, they pray the problem instead of reminding God of the promises. Isaiah 43:46. Thus, they put a death sentence over themselves with their words, according to Proverbs 21:23. A believer can have faith in God through the word of God or faith in the devil by believing the words of the devil. So let's be consistent and work faith on the positive side. We exalt God when we proclaim his word above the circumstances of life. We exalt the devil when we yield to the circumstances of life and speak defeat, worry, and fear. Just read Job 3.25. If we live by God's words, we would certainly die by embracing the devil's words. Genesis chapter 3 and Matthew 4.4. Remember, we have said that words are seeds, but God's word is incorruptible seed. The devil understands these principles, and he uses them to accomplish his purpose in people's lives. He will use whoever will yield to him to plant seeds or speak words of doubt fear, and failure into people. If people hear that long enough, that seed will get into their hearts, and they'll believe it, and receive a harvest of evil in their lives. As believers, we have the right through Jesus Christ to sow God's word in our lives, and into the lives of others, in order to produce a harvest of righteousness and blessing for God's glory. Read this story about Sennacherib threatening Jerusalem in Isaiah chapter 36, and the story of the Israelites and Kadesh Barnea in Numbers chapter 13 and 14. These are vivid examples of seeds that the devil planted in people's lives in order to destroy them. Matthew 13 verse 37 to 42. The human heart is God's production center. Just think of it. We may not know how the kingdom of God operates to produce a harvest, but if we just know and work the principles, we can receive God's provision for our lives. I may not know how a brown cow eating green grass can produce white milk, but I can still drink it and receive the benefits from it. However, as God gives us more understanding of the particular workings of these spiritual laws, we will be able to operate in them more fully. Praise the Lord. So let's look at the process of growth. In Mark chapter 4 verse 26, Jesus also said, This is what the kingdom of God is like. A man scatters seed on the ground. Night and day, whether he sleeps or gets up, the seed sprouts and grows, though he does not know how. All by itself, the seed produces grain, first the stalk, then the head, then the full kernel in the head. As soon as the grain is ripe, he puts the sickle to it because the harvest has come. Please note, we can't rush the harvest by the confession of our faith. Let's look at the process of the growing seed. First, a man scatters the seed. The seed of God's word is sown by saying it. The seed sprouts and grows. First, the stalk. So the seed is watered through the thanksgiving of the word of God. Then the head appears. Then the full kernel in the head. When the grain becomes ripe, harvest time. Reaped through prayer and being led by the Spirit to be at the right place at the right time. 
2 Corinthians 1.20 For no matter how many promises God has made, they are yes in Christ. And so through him the amen is spoken by us to the glory of God. Here Jesus is drawing a parallel between the natural process of seed time and harvest that operates in the natural world and the spiritual process of seed time and harvest that operates in the spiritual world. Jesus said this is what the kingdom of God is like. As believers, if we do not learn to operate in this spiritual law, we are in a world of hurt. This law works whether we know all the little details or we don't. Though he does not know how, Jesus said, the seed grows. If we will just work the word, the word will work for us. If it is not working, then we are not working the word according to directions. The man just sowed the seed and the soil took care of everything else. Just think of it, even while we are sleeping, this principle is working. Our spirit never sleeps and is producing the substance for the things we hope for. 1 Corinthians 3.6 Paul said by the Holy Spirit, I planted the seed, Apollos watered it, but God made it grow. So neither he who plants nor he who waters is anything, but only God who makes things grow. The man who plants and the man who waters have one purpose, and each one will be rewarded according to his own labor. For we are God's fellow workers. You are God's field, God's building. So Paul planted the seed. Paul preached the gospel and thus planted the seed. Apollos watered it. Apollos was a teacher and taught that same word that Paul preached. But God made it grow. God is the one that causes his word to grow and produce fruit, according to John 15. What a rest, no manipulation, striving, and straining required. Just sow the seed, water it with praise and thanksgiving for what his word is doing, and God will make it grow. The word is working mightily in us. There are some other elements that will determine the fruitfulness of your harvest, 30, 60, or 100 fold, like walking in love, holiness, and integrity of heart. When the word of God is spoken, faith is released through the air. That same creative force of God that the Father spoke in the beginning when he created the heavens and the earth, this word which is spoken comes to the ears of the hearer. At this point, a decision is made to accept or reject it. The human will is the door to the human heart. Upon accepting the word, it penetrates the human spirit and germinates in the soil of his or her heart. It's almost like becoming impregnated spiritually with the word, the seed of God's word. Ezekiel chapter 17, verse 5 through 8. Everything that you receive from God enters first into the human spirit, where it is conceived by faith. It is in the womb of the spirit where the seed is conceived and produces spirit life. This is the reception center of everything we receive from God. Faith in the heart gives the human spirit the ability to conceive what God has promised in his word. It won't happen until it is conceived, just as a child is conceived in his or her mother's womb. Then after conception, eventually there will be a manifestation, harvest or birth. Sometimes we must say things over and over before we really believe them. Faith comes by hearing the word continually, not by having heard it a few times. The point is, what we say is what we sow. But it won't happen just because we say it once, or even twice. It won't happen just because we say it a hundred times. Hearing the word causes faith to come. Saying is invoked in working the principle. It is conceived when we believe and doubt not in our heart. 
The kingdom of God is within you, according to Luke 17, verse 20 and 21, and has been sown with the seed we have been speaking. When our spirit conceives the promise we spoke, it will work night and day to produce and bring it to pass. The soil, the heart, or the spirit of a person is designed by God to produce what is sown in it, whether it's good or bad. It is the seed that determines the type of harvest, not the soil. We are the ones who control the kind of seed that we sow into our hearts. Galatians chapter 6, verse 7 through 10. Now the key to any harvest is to make sure you don't dig up the seed that you've sown. We have seen that seeds are words, and the soil is the human spirit or the heart. However, what instrument do we use to sow the seed? The tongue. The tongue has the potential to sow God's word for a harvest of blessing, but it can also dig it up and sow weeds that will produce a curse. In Genesis, after the fall of man, Adam caused certain curses to befall himself and this earth. One of those curses was the introduction of weeds, which I believe is a type of evil words. Mankind was given the capacity to speak good and evil. Proverbs says that life and death are in the power of the tongue. Until the fall, I believe that Adam only used his tongue for life. When Adam sold out to Satan and committed high treason, man received Satan's sinful nature in his spirit, and with that the ability to speak death, which we call spiritual death. The tree of the knowledge of good and evil also refers to the ability to speak life and death with our tongues. Deuteronomy 30.19 When we speak God's word one moment, and then speak doubt and fear, the devil's words, the next moment, we have just dug up our seed. James chapter 1 verse 6. But when he asks, he must believe and not doubt, because he who doubts is like a wave of the sea, blown and tossed by the wind. That man should not think he will receive anything from the Lord. He is a double-minded man, unstable in all he does. Faith in the heart gives it the ability to conceive God's promise. Once it is conceived, we will eventually have a manifestation of that promise, but it takes time. It's a process. As I've been saying, this is not a fad. This is a way of life. This is not something we try. If we are just going to try it, it won't work for us. We must have the attitude, God said it, I believe it, and that settles it. As for me and my house, we're going to believe God's word. Remember, we will not attain water-walking faith overnight. Just because we are tired of taking that medicine that keeps us alive is no reason to just say, well, bless God, today I'm going to start living by faith. You will more likely die by faith if we have not developed our faith and have received a full manifestation of healing in our body. Just keep taking that medicine and believing God at the same time until you don't have to take it anymore. Jesus said in Luke 8.15, But the seed on good soil stands for those with a noble and good heart who hear the word, retain it, and by persevering, produce a crop. I trust that this episode on all kinds of prayers has been a blessing to you. As we saw through God's word that there are at least nine different kinds of prayers that we have identified in the Bible, we also explored many spiritual principles that govern those prayers. Sure, it will take time to become skilled and proficient in using our spiritual toolbox of prayer, but that is time well spent. God bless. I highly encourage you to continue listening to the Word of Life study series podcast and encourage your friends to tune in as well. 
The scriptures encourage us in Acts chapter 17, verse 11, to receive the message with great eagerness and to examine the scriptures every day in order to confirm the truth that you're hearing. God's word is our final authority for all matters that pertain to life and godliness. I'd like to close this episode by praying over you according to Ephesians chapter 1, verse 17. I keep asking that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the glorious Father, may give you the spirit of wisdom and revelation so that you may know him better. I pray also that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened in order that you may know the hope to which he has called you, the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints, and his incomparable great power for us who believe. That power is like the working of his mighty strength which he exerted in Christ when God raised him from the dead and seated him at his own right hand in the heavenly realms. Far above all rule, authority, power, and dominion, and every title that can be given, not only in this present age, but also in the one to come. And in chapter 2, verse 6, And God raised us up with Christ and seated us with him in heavenly places in Christ Jesus. Be blessed and see you soon.